You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. I'm not much of a world traveler, at least not in comparison to many. Outside the U.S., there are a few places that I've traveled, including Israel twice. That was in February of 2000 and February of 2001. I include those dates about traveling to Israel because that was well before Israel installed those massive walls between people groups. That was 20 years ago. But even then, traveling 20 years ago, it was easy to notice groups of people who didn't like each other. And in the inner city of Jerusalem, what is referred to as the old city of Jerusalem, there is a Christian quarter, a Muslim quarter, a Jewish quarter, and an Armenian quarter. And there's division among them all. And in fact, there are walls there. You can't, there are checkpoints. You can't go from one to the other without going through security. And, and you have to have permission in some places to go from one section to another. And what we see as barriers between people, they represent spiritual barriers as well. As we get into the second half of Ephesians, we're going to hear this phrase from the Apostle Paul, the dividing wall of hostility. Now, spiritually speaking, they would have thought in large part about the temple. And in the city of Jerusalem, the holiest place on earth was the temple and the holy of holies inside that temple where the presence of God was to reside. And here's how it worked. The holiest people had the closest access to God. So the holy of holies, the very presence of God, only the high priest of which there was only one could enter into that holy of holies one time per year. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Outside of that, the priest would minister around the temple, other religious groups, leaders. Outside of the temple proper was an area reserved for the Jewish males to come and and worship. Outside of that was the court of the women. And there's walls separating these various groups. And if you were a non-Jew, a Gentile, well, you're somewhere else, (laughs) Actually, you were in the furthest area away, in what was known as the court of the Gentiles, the proverbial back of the bus. And even if you wanted to draw close to worship the one true God, you'd have to stay out of the way past this wall and and this wall to the outer wall where the courtyard for you would reside. That's where you'd go. And if you wanted to pass through any of these other walls to gain closer access to the presence of God, if you were a Gentile, that's a death sentence. In an archaeological dig, a first century sign was found that was originally part of the wall separating the court of the Gentiles from the rest of the temple precincts. Uh, On that wall, actually called a a balustrade, was this sign, it's inscription in Greek and it reads, foreigners must not enter inside the balustrade, the wall. Uh, 
or into the forecourt around the sanctuary. Whoever is caught will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. (laughs) Not much of a welcome sign if you were a Gentile. So there was a literal and spiritual wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles, even if you wanted to worship the same one true God. So the first thing the Apostle Paul wants us to know today is that there's something different about the the Jews and the Gentiles who are in Christ. They are now reconciled. Here's how Paul says it in Ephesians 2. Therefore, remember that you, formerly you, who are Gentiles by birth, okay, that's us, the non-Jews, we're the Gentiles, and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that was the Jews, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one. And has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh, that is, Jesus' death on the cross, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. This may be a little confusing to us because we're Gentiles, but let me try to explain it. What Paul is saying is that there is a conflict, a hostility, an animosity between two people groups, those who are Jewish, called the circumcised, and those who are Gentiles, the uncircumcised. And this would have been kind of a pejorative term. You know, when we don't like another group, we may nickname them negatively. So in that day, apparently there were some Jewish folks who said, We are the circumcised, they, you know, us, them, they are the uncircumcised. And in that way, there was the determining factor on whose team you were in that day. Well, as is often the case, anytime you see a cultural or racial conflict, and we can be a bit naive, maybe we come to the scene a little late and we ask, why can't you guys get along? And all of a sudden, they begin to tell their story. And it goes back, pretty far back in history. And there was, as we trace this conflict, all the way back to a man named Abraham. Here's the situation. Abraham had two baby mamas. Just so you know, that's one too many. The result was that he had two sons, one from each woman, and there was, to be sure, Conflict to ensue. Which son would be considered the rightful heir, the family heritage, the promised one through whom the blessing was going to come from Abraham down? You have two women 
two sons and one massive conflict. To this day, the conflict between Jews and Muslims is in large part a result of this family feud. Christians and Jews who read the Bible, they look at it and say, well, Sarah was the real wife of Abraham. Abraham and Sarah had Isaac, who was the son of the promise. But then the Muslims come along and they say, no, 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 no. It's Hagar, not Sarah. It's Ishmael, not Isaac. We are the descendants of Abraham and the family who inherits the promise and the legitimate side of the family. And there's this debate and hostility that's deep and long seated in history. The result was that Abraham and his household were circumcised as God commanded. And that began an outward sign of an inward covenant with God that ultimately would be fulfilled in what was going to be known as the circumcision of the heart by the Holy Spirit in the new covenant. And so what happened was you had this side of the family, they are the circumcised, and this side of the family, they're the uncircumcised. So let's talk first about the Gentiles, those who are called the uncircumcised. They were called alienated. They were the foreigners, the aliens. We don't know them. They're of another people group. It says in verse 12, there was no hope for this group. (laughs) That's us. So there was no way that these two people groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, in and of themselves, we're going to be able to overcome this hostility. And it says in that same verse that these people are without God. Again, that's us. If you're not Jewish, this is your heritage. We're godless pagans. Let's say there are two boys playing, one a Jew and one a Gentile, and the Gentile comes up to the Jewish boy, they're not supposed to be playing together, but they were. The Gentile boy comes up to the Jewish boy and says, hey, are there any Gentiles mentioned in the Bible? The Gentile would have been pleased to hear the Jewish boy say, yeah, actually, there are a lot of Gentiles mentioned in the Bible. Oh, so we made the book. Yeah. (laughs) You're the Babylonians, the Egyptians. You ever heard of Nebuchadnezzar? your guy. The story of David and Goliath, David is our guy. Goliath is your guy. All the bad people in the Bible, that's your people. (laughs) All the enemies of God, your people. We're the good people. You're the bad people. God loves us, hates you. That's what the religious teachers actually said. So hostility is a good word to describe what's going on. And the Apostle Paul is going to use it a few times. This hostility was so deep that if a Jewish person came across a Gentile woman who was struggling to give birth, they were told not to assist her. Because to assist her would simply be bringing another Gentile into the world. That's conflict. And this is how the Jews were regarded. And they were regarded this way by the Jews who were referred to as the circumcised. 
Now they, the Jews, were prone to uh, haughtiness and, and pride. I mean, after all, they reasoned, God chose one man, our father Abraham. All the prophets, they're our side of the family. The priests, the kings, that's our side of the family. The Hebrew scriptures, what we know as our Old Testament, primarily about our side of the family. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's our family. And God says we're the apple of his eye and he loves us and that he is our father. We're the good people. And if you'd like to join our faith, well, then you have to become Jewish. You need to learn our language. Your men are going to have to get circumcised. You have to change your diet. You're going to have to celebrate our holidays. You've got to become Jewish. Oh, and just because you're just converting, you're not really the pure bloodline like us. So don't consider yourself a first-class citizen. Now, what's interesting is if you read the Scriptures, there's no reason for God's people to have been proud and arrogant. Abraham. Uh, oh, the guy that committed adultery and polygamy and gave his wife away twice? Not exactly an amazing sinless resume. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the line that they that comes from them, adultery, incest, polygamy. There are some serious problems in this family. You keep reading, and God sends prophets to the people. Repent, you're doing wrong. I can't stand it anymore. I'm tired of it. He's rebuking them. And when they don't repent, which is often the case, they even murder the prophets. And then, on occasion, God sends them into exile. He uproots them from the land of promise, and off they go to, to Babylon. And they're taken captive somewhere else because they refused to heed the warnings of their own sinful ways. So it's not as simple as saying, well, the Gentiles are all sinners, the Jews are all holy. Now, if they are holy, it's because God set them apart and loved them and forgave them. It's not because they're any better. In fact... If you go back a little bit further in history, you ready for this? Abraham was a godless pagan. That's how he started before God saved him. That's how we all start before God saves us. You see, the story in Genesis is that there was a place in Babylon that they started to build a tower called Babel. And God judged it. And he condemned it. And he confused their language and he scattered the people. Only then did he choose Abraham. He started by choosing Abraham, seeking Abraham. Abraham wasn't seeking God. God saved him. God started this relationship with him. In one of the most important lines in the Bible, it says that Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so the Jewish people should have known that we all descend from Gentile pagans and God saves us by grace through faith. 
That's how Abraham was saved. By faith, through trusting in the grace of God. But at this point, now there's hostility, there's conflict. Well, what happens? Jesus comes. Jesus was Jewish by birth, and he he claimed to be God. And so on this one thing, the Jews and the Gentiles agreed, we need to get rid of him. We need to kill him. And together they conspired to crucify Jesus. Of course, this was all orchestrated by God. Nevertheless, Jesus dies, is resurrected, He ascends back into heaven. The first disciples, all Jewish. The early church, primarily Jewish. And then as the gospel spreads, Gentiles start getting excited about Jesus. Now we're into the New Testament and all of a sudden, Gentiles in large number are converting to Christianity and they're loving Jesus and they get their sins forgiven and filled with the Holy Spirit. And the the huge question for the early church is, what are we going to do with all these Gentiles? And how Paul answers this in verse 15 is by saying something that had never been said. He uses this language, one new man in place of the two. You see the argument. The Gentiles are like, no, 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 we, you, we all got to be Gentiles. The Jews are saying, no, 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 we've all got to be Jews. And Paul comes along and he says, no, no, no. We all have to be one in Christ. This, friends, is your identity. Their identity is no longer uncircumcised Gentile or circumcised Jew, their identity is in Christ. Reconciled together through one new man. So there's this new group, this new category, this new people called Christian. So number one, in Christ, Jew and Gentile are reconciled. They become one the body of believers, the church. So both groups now say, okay, our primary identity is in Christ, so we've got to stop fighting against each other. We've got to start loving each other and figuring out what it means to be in this new family if God, in fact, is our Father and Jesus is our saving big brother. And he uses this language in verse 13 that together they are brought near. So if Jesus is the center, the Gentiles come to Jesus and the Jews come to Jesus. Now they relate to one another because of their relationship with Jesus. He will go on to say, and we'll see it again in just a moment, that both have access to the Father through one spirit. What that means is that there is no front of the bus, back of the bus, no first and second class citizens in the Christian family. That God's a father who loves all of his kids. Black, white, Asian, Hispanic, rich, poor, young, old, Republican, Democrat. He loves all of his kids equally and he places in them the new Holy Spirit. And they all have access to their dad. There's no wall of hostility. 
That's the first thing that Paul wants to get across in the relation to Christ. No division among people groups. Number two, in Christ, you and God are reconciled. Now, here's what's mind-blowing. You look at the history, the complexity, the animosity between the Jews and the Gentiles, and you say, that's pretty amazing that God could reconcile them. But here's what's even more amazing, that God not only reconciles in Christ Jews and Gentiles, but God in Christ reconciles sinners and God. (laughs) Think about the difference between God and us. Creator creation, holy, unholy, infinite, finite. We've all sinned against God. And the result is there is a separation between us and God. You see, you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're all sinners by nature and by choice. We've rebelled against God. And God, who is holy, has a serious problem with us. If he didn't, he would cease to be holy. So how is this relationship now going to get reconciled? We can't change ourselves. We can't save ourselves. Paul has just said, we are those who are without hope. So if we can't do it, what is it that God does? His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. God because of sin, knows that there's a wall of hostility between us and him. It's a wall that you've built. It's a wall I've built. A wall of rebellion and and sin and going our own way. And so God lives in heaven. We live down here. God lives in a place that's holy. We live in a place that's unholy. God lives in a place where there is no sin. We live in a place that's filled with sin. God lives in a place where there is no death. We live in a place where there is death. And we have built a wall. And spiritually, we have lived our lives apart from God. But God does something about it. He becomes a man. The creator enters creation. He goes from heaven to earth, from being worshipped and adored to being hated, from having everything to having practically nothing. You see, Jesus is God coming through that wall that we've built. It is God coming to seek and to save. He's on a rescue mission. And what he does, what Jesus does, he lives without sin. He declares himself to be God, which is ultimately why he was put to death and he dies. And Paul says, we are saved. We are reconciled through his body. 
So Jesus takes upon himself all of our sin, even the penalty of sin, and it says that he kills the hostility by dying in our place. So if you are in Christ and you have faith in Christ, he died in your place. And God no longer has hostility towards you. He has peace with you. That's exactly what Paul said. He has peace with you. He won't punish you because Jesus was already punished in your place. And now the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in the children of God and there's no barrier. The barrier of sin has been removed. So in Christ, Jew and Gentile are reconciled. More amazingly, in Christ, God and sinners are reconciled. And finally, in Christ, you and others are reconciled. Here's how Paul says it. Consequently, that is in light of Jesus, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. There's your identity. And also members of his household. There's your community. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. It used to be that God's people would go to the temple that was high up on a hill. In fact, the whole city of Jerusalem is built atop three hills. And people, many of them, would walk for miles to come to the temple. And when they arrived at the base of the hill, they would wash to try to cleanse themselves of sin and adorn themselves in white, and they would sing songs of ascent, which are literally from the book of Psalms, Psalms 120 to 134. And they walked literally up to Jerusalem. And the temple was high and exalted, and the presence of God and the Holy of Holies was at the center. And they try to purify themselves from sin and, and be ready of their hearts to meet with God they would try to get as close to God as they could or as close as they were allowed. And they'd offer sacrifices and blood was shed. This was all a foreshadowing of Jesus who came as the lamb who took away the sins of the world. All the temple happenings was a foreshadowing of the coming of Jesus because the temple was the presence of God here with us. You see, we're here. God is there. And there is this dividing wall of hostility between us and him. And Jesus walks through it. And he becomes our Emmanuel, God with us. And now Jesus is the temple of God. And then Paul says that you and I are stones in this temple called the church that God is building. And he says that the cornerstone is Jesus. And that means everything rises and falls with him. When you lay the foundation of a building, the most important thing is to lay the cornerstone correctly. 
If you lay the cornerstone incorrectly or you lay the wrong cornerstone, it will all come crashing down. You know why religions fail? You know why moralism fails? Why nations, businesses, people fail? If the cornerstone of any of that isn't Jesus, it's only a matter of time before it crumbles. So it all starts with Jesus. And it all rises and falls with Jesus. Here at Benton Heights Presbyterian, we like to say that it's all about Jesus. So we talk about Jesus and how he relates to your marriage. Jesus and how he relates to your kids, parenting. Jesus and how he relates to your singleness. Jesus and how he relates to your suffering. Jesus and how he relates to your job. And we can't talk about anything unless we first talk about Jesus. So we start with him. Everything starts with Jesus. And everything rises and resides and revolves around Jesus. So let me ask, do you know him? Do you know that he wants to have a relationship with you? The problem is that barrier of sin, of the things that we've done that have left him out. Going our own way and we cannot bridge the gap. God does something about it. He sends his son, that's Jesus, to die in your place for your sins. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he cares. That's how much of a relationship he wants to have with you. And all you have to do is just give in and just say, Lord Jesus, will you come into my life? If you're one who has tried any and everything else to get rid of your past, to get rid of the guilt and shame and and try to save yourself, then you know it's not worked. It never will work. There's only one way. That is to let Jesus Christ take on your sins and let him have your life and your future. Let me pray for us. Lord, even now, we thank you that you have given us yourself the best gift to ever be given. The one who would step off the throne and come into human history. And the ultimate act of salvation be placed on a cross to die for our sins. Lord, you know we are without hope if we are without you. Don't let us take another moment without opening our lives to you, Lord. And if even now somebody would just say in their heart, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I need you. Come in, be my Savior, be my Lord.
And the promise is you will do it. You will come in and you will change that life and you will change that person's eternity. And Lord, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.